practical spirituality. Positive messages. This is UnityOnlineRadio.org. The voice of an awakening world. The content of this radio show is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health professional with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Welcome to One Soul Radio, an interactive conscious conversation grounded in psychology and inspired by spirit with Steve Hassenberg and Kelly Alpert. Welcome, friends, to One Soul Radio here on Unity Online Radio. This is the show for you and by you, a virtual community creating conscious conversation and the opportunity to have a place to delve a little deeper in life than you may do on your own, offering you a unique perspective from both worlds at the same time. I'm Callie Alpert in Los Angeles with you my are? dear friend. You're, you're here? <laughs> And yes, I am. And you're here too, Steve Hassenberg. Good afternoon from the same time zone. Hi, Callie. Hi. You're in the valley and I'm at the ocean. I am. Um, and a uh, uh, mutual friend of ours said to me today, why, um, why aren't you two doing the show together in the same spot, which we will be the next um, show that we do together. Um, or week after week after next, we have a Are we very gonna talk about that yet. We're gonna we're gonna tease it at the end of the show. It's a All really right. really yummy show, very very special, and we're very excited about it. I just want to say something. Yes. Else that uh, my heart is with the Ukrainian people, and um, every picture I look at just looks like me and you. Mm-hmm. And all these people running from their from uh, their homes, homes and apartments and bombed out, and it's a very difficult time. And so, I want to send our love to them today. Thank you for saying that on yeah. behalf of us. Yes, that's absolutely a very important way for us to launch our show today. And um, yeah, so much we could do right. shows just on that. Um, but we are sending our love and our prayers to that part of the world and to all people that are struggling. Yep. So much of it going on, so much. So today, in the, in the name of people that can potentially help get us through and teach us some important life lessons that can help us grow and walk through challenging times, we're going to continue our mini-series, The Sp- Spiritual Self-Help Legends. Today... Maharishi, the founder of Transcendental Meditation, and this is a particularly special one, and you're going to find out why. So known as the founder of Transcendental Meditation and a global guru to the stars, to millions of people around the globe, including the Beatles, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi is one of the most influential spiritual leaders of our time, more close to home. This is the fun part. He's one of Steve's most significant personal teachers because Steve served as Maharishi's loyal apprentice and student for almost three years, right? You traipsed around the globe and followed him and discipled it up. I I was with him for three years every day, (laughs) but I was with him for... From the time I was 21 till now. In spirit, as a teacher, right? Yes. Yeah, which is, um, yeah. So we're going to hear, Steve's going to regale us with some amazing firsthand stories. And how often do you get to hear those? (laughs) Um, So we're going to discuss the many ways that Maharishi has impacted modern spirituality. Like I said, we're going to enjoy countless firsthand stories of Steve's experiences with this master and offer some action steps action steps to help you, dear listeners, get a little closer to these ancient practices in your own lives. If you'd like to join us today, we'd love to hear from you. The number is 816-251-3555. Please call in with questions, comments, curiosities. We would love to hear from you. So I don't even, I mean, we're going to start, we'll start like we do with each of these shows with a little bit of um, the 
biographical timeline, although you really don't, I mean, you don't need me for this show. <laughs> You've got plenty to say and way more direct firsthand knowledge about Maharishi than I do. I mean, my, my first knowledge of Maharishi um, was in the 1970s when he definitely, I guess, part of his big heyday when he was um, really making a, um, a splash, for lack of a better word, here in the United States. And my mother who was going to spoon bending classes and chasing UFOs in the sky and, you know, taking drives to look for whatever, was also getting into transcendental meditation and would take classes and then um, was loyally meditating twice a day for 20 minutes um, at a go and was taunting us with her mantra, which everybody who practices transcendental meditation gets um, given to them. And, um, but it was always a big secret. She would never tell us what this magic word was. So you could, in retrospect, you could call that whatever manipulation, but in the moment it was very exciting and interesting and kind of, um, secretive. And then as Steve knows, I entered my first oratorical contest in New Jersey at about age 15 or 16. And I wrote about transcendental meditation as the, salve that would help save the world. It was some sort of a theme about what would make the the country a better place. And I won that oratorical contest. I had no clue what I was talking about. My mom wrote half the speech, but that was my first experience with Maharishi. I well, really want to read it. I'm going to have to find it. I'll have to track it down. It's somewhere in the archives in a storage box somewhere. You know, I'm a, I'm a tumbleweed these days. I'll have to track it down and find it. Well, when you were writing that, I was uh, finishing at NYU, I think. And I started, um, I was working, I started meditation. I think I was 21 or 22. I forgot how old I was. Mm-hmm. Something like that. And um, I was working as a janitor in the TM Center. And one day, all these highfalutin teachers ran in, and they said, we need somebody to drive Maharishi from uh, Kennedy to LaGuardia Airport. Right. And they said, who are you? And I said, I'm a janitor. And they said, well, you can't do it. And they left. And then they came back two hours later. And they said, we can't find anybody else to do it. Can you do it? But you have to wear, you have to have a suit and a tie and all that stuff. Do you have any of those? I said, absolutely not. (laughs) How long was your hair at the time? Curious. I had an afro. Oh, okay. That's how my hair grows out Mm -hmm. straight. Anyhow, uh, they got me a suit and tie and uh, rented a car. And I went out to uh, Kennedy Airport. And they came with me, all these people, and they ran out of the car. And I thought, well, I, I want to leave the car. They said, you stay here. And uh, they went to get him. And about an hour and a half later, they came back and I saw Maharishi. I was parked about a half mile away from the airport. And I saw Maharishi leading everybody. And I thought, how is he ever going to find me? And he's walking out of the airport and he starts waving in my direction. (laughs) And he starts walking toward me and these throngs of people are walking toward the car and I'm there and he got in and was surrounded by people. And I felt very proud of myself that I was the one driving. And somehow he knew me before he knew me. And I drove him to, to LaGuardia Airport. And we talked. The, really, the only thing he wanted to talk about was the beauty of the full moon that night. Mm, wow. And how God's creation far surpasses anything man can ever do. And then he laughed, and we chatted, and it was just a delight. That's how I met him. Wow, that's so amazing. That's such a good story. I love that. How did you, do you remember how you felt? Like, did you know you were in, did you feel like you were in the presence of someone who was going to really change your life at that time? Yes. My third eye was, and I never had a vibrating third eye before. I didn't even know what it was. My third eye was vibrating so powerfully that I could hardly see the road. Wow. I didn't know how I got to LaGuardia Airport, truthfully. (laughs) <laughs> I love it. That's so cool. Very, very cool. So, um, so we each had our respective and very, very different 
initial experiences with Maharishi Mahesh, right? Um, so some notes about his significance in um, and his personal timeline. First of all, he was known as the second um, spiritual master from the East after Yogananda, who we're going to be featuring in two weeks in a very exciting way. So we'll talk about that more at the end of the show. Um, but he was the second spiritual master from the East after uh, Yogananda to um, mainstream meditation to really bring it in a more widespread and, and mainstream way, right? Um he studied physics. He was really into science. And this I learned from you during our preparation for the show. He began research on the effectiveness of meditation on health with over mm -hmm. 6,000 or something studies, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I don't want to skip steps here because you have, a, I mean, there's just so many stories that are fun to exciting to get to. Um so you had said that, let's see, he was, he was born in 1918. He died at age 90 in 2008, which is also kind of interesting to think about, like how recently he was still here on this yeah. planet Earth, you know, mm -hmm. um, such a great master. Graduated in 1942, um, found his way to Guru Dev after high school, and then um, Guru Dev told him to go back to college first and come back if he was still seeking a teacher and seeking enlightenment. So yes. it wasn't like, cause so many of these stories of these great Indian masters, you know, they leave home when they're eight and 10, they have a big spiritual, um, some magnet that lures them and pulls them into the mm -hmm. hills and the mountains and the caves to find their teacher. And it's very interesting that he was initially encouraged to finish up his education before he sought more of his spirituality. I think that's really cool. That's what Maharishi told me to do. When I was sitting with him leaving um, Fujifonte, Italy, after I'd become a TM teacher, he was sitting with me holding my hand and said, go back to school, get your master's degree in psychology. He did. And then do whatever you can for me. Teach a thousand people. Is that what prompted you to become a psychotherapist? Uh, there were a number of things, but he reinforced it. Yeah. Ah, I don't think I ever heard that from you. That's so cool. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Very cool. So he just to back into the timeline a little bit further. He um, and please chime in since you are way more educated on him than I am. Um, he left home at age nine to seek God. Right. That was Guru. Oh, Dev. I'm sorry, Brahmahan. Oh, that was sorry. Okay. <laughs> so this is why. Go ahead. Talk about Guru Dev. Let's talk about him first. So his teacher, who was called the Shankaracharya of the North, which was like the Pope in, in Italy among Catholics. So he was like the Pope in terms of his depth of holiness. He left his home at eight to seek a master. And he lived in a cave until he was 72 years old. Okay, right. Thank you for straightening me out on that one. I confused my notes here. Was there Can anything else? Continue? Yeah, go ahead. I want. To, I mean, just because it, it's interesting to hear the lineage of how okay. these great masters find their way and the right. different, similar and different paths that they take. You know. And so he was uh, part of the Vedic tradition in India that goes back forty five hundred years. And uh, so he was in a cave until he was 72, because at that time, it was right after World War II, and the prime minister of India came to him and said, I know you've been in the cave for 72 years, but could you come out for a few minutes? <laughs> because we need some help. It's just after the war, people need to be inspired. So he said he would, and he started giving talks all through India. And as Maharishi told us, millions of people came. And Maharishi's joke was that even accountants cried mm -hmm. when they were listening to Guru Dev. Guru Dev, by the way, is the same Guru Dev as in the Beatles song, Across the Universe. I have to sing that song now in my head. It's such a beautiful song. Right, Jagu Eva. Yeah. Nothing's going to change mm, my world. My world, yeah, yeah. beautiful. So, Maharishi began 
teaching, right? Um, began teaching uh, or introducing transcendental meditation to India and the world around like the mid fifties. And then his first um, global tour became uh, started in like 1958, where he trained more than 40,000 TM teachers, more than five impacted um, and taught more than 5 million people and founded thousands of teaching centers around the world. So, um, right, the Beatles, the Beach Boys, this is these are the references that you hear a lot of people talking about. I believe that is this. Yeah, go ahead. What are you going to say? Deepak has, I mean, I would, the courses that I was on in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Where Deepak was always there before Deepak became Deepak. It all gets passed down from Doesn't shoulder it? to shoulder. The, the other Beatles song that's coming to mind is Dear Prudence. Right. Which was about the Beatles going to India. Um, I'm sorry. Well, it was um, Mia Farrow was there and her with her sister, Prudence. Right. And I think Prudence was taking her spiritual practice very, very seriously and was, it was at the expense of hanging out or socializing with the larger group that she was with. And that's what the muse is for the song, Dear, Dear Prudence. That's right. That one as well. Right. So it's really um, just interesting how it hits pop culture and all that. I'd like to talk about um, when you first witnessed Maharishi having video and what shifted there, because you said that when you first started studying with him, there was, there was no video, there was no documentation, right? Of his teachings. Right. Um, He was just doing off the cuff lectures and they were very esoteric and fun and mystical and adventurous. And often during the middle of them, he would start laughing about something and wouldn't stop. And it was so raucous that we all started laughing and nobody could stop and our sides would hurt and it would just go on and on and it would not stop. (laughs) (laughs) And then one day I noticed I was at a course in Maine and I noticed that they had set up some video. And the moment the video was set up, he did laugh occasionally, but he became much more serious, much more formal. And he knew that I think what he knew was his destiny in a way had begun in terms of bringing this to the masses. And he wanted to act a little bit more conservatively. <laughs> so he asked everybody to cut their hair. Yeah, if you wanted to be a teacher of TM, which I was, and I still teach it, um, you had to cut your hair. I had to cut my gorgeous Afro locks <laughs> and wear a suit and tie. <laughs> because if, he said if you wanted to appeal to accountants and bankers and the average American, you had to look like them. So interesting. I when you first told me that, I thought, well, is that over um like being too much of a chameleon or losing your integrity at the expense of you know, or in the name of melding with other people, right? Right. But then you remember with these types of masters that their their wisdom is head and shoulders above our initial reactions and judgments and that it was probably the wisest way to try to get more people's attention and to get more widespread. I mean, it's just, it's so interesting to think about that. Who is, who is, who is, you know, I mean, who is around you? A bunch of long haired hippies. He was, right. He was, he he had an inherent understanding of marketing Mm. and he wanted to disseminate this, what he considered to be, there were two things that were most important to him. One was a person's self-realization so they could feel happy and joyous in their life. And the other was world peace. And he was dedicated to that and committed to it in a way that I have never seen anybody in my life. Ever. That says a lot because you've been around a lot of great masters and have a lot of fascinating stories to tell. So it's a big superlative to, you know, to give to him. I, here's a little secret story. 
so the secret story is that he had three. I, I know this because friends of mine worked with him in this intimate way. I didn't. He had three sets of, of guys and women around him through the 24-hour period. So eight, eight, and eight. He went through the whole day. At two o'clock in the morning, he had dinner. He had one meal a day. Wow. And after that, he meditated, and he, then he started his day again. He did not sleep. He would only meditate, sometimes a half hour, sometimes an hour, sometimes that was it. All of these people I knew were completely burned out because his energy was so strong that he would just go, 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 go. And his focus was on self-realization and world peace. Wow. Did you notice that he, um, in the time that you were with him, and even thereafter when you were just learning from him at a distance, did you notice a difference in his energy field? Or like, did you feel him, um, I don't know, his energy accelerating or fortifying or changing as he became spending more time, number one, out of India and in more Western cultures and also getting more support and, you know, and um, disseminating his, like his voice and his message. Did you notice a difference? No. Hmm. He's just always who he was. There are a million stories I could tell you, yeah. but <laughs> his energy was always the same. Laughing, equanimity, and if he got angry at somebody, honestly, the walls shook. And the moment he was finished with his anger, he was completely smiling and back in equanimity. It was are you shocking. Saying, are you saying the wall shook because he had uh, because he you could it was just an, an intuitive like um, silent anger or because he was raging. Like he would rate vocal, uh huh. Not all, not very often, but he, he when he had an occasion to do it, it would come out full bore. Wow! And then when it was gone, it was gone. Wow! On that note, let's take a caller, shall we? Shall we? Sure. Hi, caller. Are you there? Hi. Yes, I'm here. I'm I'm loving this. Um, Isn't it fun? What's your name and where are you calling from? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> My name is Jan, and I'm calling from Los Angeles. Hi, Jan. Um, Thanks for joining us today. Do you Are you a Maharishi fan, or do you have a, a question or comment or story you'd like to share? I've got a, I've got a question. I, I did see him in New York in the, um, in the 70s and just found him amazing. And there's something I've always been curious about. Some people say that these realized masters have superpowers. Mm. And Steve, I'm I'm wondering, do you have any stories about Maharishi that confirm that for you? And where do these superpowers come from? How cool! <laughs> I know city cities, right? Is that the word S I D D H I S? Like yes. powers? Did you want to say something? No, about I just wanted to. Just the word came to mind, so that's all I want to hear from you. Well, um, I'm going to tell Jan. One of our, my, I have so many of these, but one of them really stands out. <clears throat> when I was in Italy uh, with him, uh, one of the things I was doing to make money, I, I was in charge of the school. There was a school for the um, parents who had young children who were on the course with him. And um, I had... Uh, control of them for a uh, part of the day. And I got to know them very, very well. If we don't finish the story, keep me on track here because we can always do it after the break. Okay. So um, one day we were in every day at three o'clock, Maharishi would give a talk. And usually the kids would come into the room at first and there were probably about 14 or 15 of them. Very, they were young, and they would make a commotion, and basically we would throw them out in about five minutes. 
With this day, instead of doing that, all of them by themselves went up to the stage where Maharishi was sitting and they sat around him. And I was looking at this in absolute shock because one of the kids that I knew so well by the name of Nate was hyperactive and he couldn't sit anywhere for about four seconds. And so Maharishi spoke for an hour and a half and the kids didn't move. (laughs) And I, I just didn't know what to think of it. So at the end of an hour and a half, they came down and I grabbed Nate and I said, Nate, I have never seen you like this before. What was going on up there? He said, Maharishi, we had, I had the best time I've ever had in my life. I said, what did you do, Nate? He said, Maharishi took us to the circus. <laughs> and we rode, we rode animals and ponies, and he gave us as much candy and ice cream as we could. And um, everybody rode on the Ferris wheel. And I said, well, maybe Nate is having delusions. And on that note, we'll continue after the break with (laughs) Callie. Callie's going to give us a break right now. So we're going to be right back and we're going to continue on that amazing story. Jan, please please stay with us and uh, everybody, (laughs) please hang on. We'll be right back. Awaken to the divine within. You're listening to UnityOnlineRadio.org. Welcome back to One Soul Radio with Steve Hassenberg and Kelly Alpert. Welcome back, friends, to One Soul Radio here on Unity Online Radio. The number to call in if you want to share a story or a question is 816-251-3555. We are talking about uh, spiritual self-help legends and continuing our series with Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, the founder of Transcendental Meditation, and one of Steve's, if not the most significant teacher in Steve's life, among many beautiful teachers that he's had. Um, so we, before the break, um, we have Jan on the line who's still with us and we were, she was asking about, um, superpowers of, um, Maharishi in particular. And Steve was telling an amazing story about eight year old Nate who for the first day ever (laughs) during a, what could have been another stirring, right. Um, that, that his behavior completely changed and he was talking about how he was taken to the circus and had this amazing day. So can you tell us what really happened there? What kind of alternate universe was Maharishi able to hold for these kids while speaking in a room that would have made the kids extremely restless? Absolutely. And I'm going to just finish the story by telling you that I was not satisfied with Nate's answer (laughs) because I thought maybe Nate had too much to eat for lunch. (laughs) Too much sugar. (laughs) So uh, I actually interviewed all the other kids And I got the same story over and over and over. And they said to the person, it was the best day I've ever had. Maharishi was actually leading the horses that they were (laughs) riding on. So uh, how do you explain things like that, right? Right. Because these references, just, you know, for a little bit of context, often when you read these stories again of some of these great masters, they they are showing up in different places at the same time. I don't know what the if there's proper terminology for that. Um, but it's not, and it's, it's a story that you hear in these very small circles with these very highly vibrationally evolved teachers. Mm. And, um, how did they explain it or how did he explain it? Well, certainly Maharishi never talked. I never asked him about it, but, um, the way it's explained is that there are multiple levels of consciousness 
And so Maharishi can be talking on one level, and he would often say to us, don't worry about understanding what I'm saying. Just feel it in your heart. So just on that basis, he's saying something, but then there's a radiance of energy that you're experiencing on another level. So on another level, he could have taken them all to an astral plane where there was a circus or a circus that he created. They talk about this with Sai Baba a lot. And uh, he was there with them while he was talking to us. So he could perform on multiple levels of consciousness. Jan, does that answer your question? That sounds like a good superpower story, right? Yeah, I think that's a good superpower. So that's, that's, that hits that's the amazing. quota today. Thank you. Thank you so much for your question and for joining us. We appreciate it always. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, yeah, I mean, that just makes me smile. We could talk about that for days. It's just because it's such a reminder that there's so much going on that we can't see energetically. Um, and it's also fascinating, too, that, you know, you think about that um, these stories are and, and some of the superpowers, for lack of a better word, that these masters ha- um, have possessed historically, you know, are thousands and thousands of years old so ancient and so well-founded and yet we still you know we have such a huge capacity um as human beings that we're not using you know like we think about all those stories of the great yogis who are like not eating and just sort of surviving on sunshine for years at a time or flying or showing up in parallel universes at the same time there are a lot of stories i've heard about uh, maharaji ramdas's teacher doing that and showing up um while he, after he had left his body, showing up while Ramdas was speaking, and suddenly people would have visions of Maharaji sitting in Ramdas's body. All kinds of fascinating things like that. Um, and making water into wine. Mm, right, that's a good one. That one goes a long way. And walking on water. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> so as much as we think a lot of people think that these stories are lore or, um, you know, just made up for mm-hmm. for whatever book was written way back when it's it's pretty beautiful to think about how powerful that uh, how powerful they are um so should we talk about the seven states of consciousness right this was something that uh, maharishi brought sort of to light in terms of the different kind of layers different degrees of consciousness right Mm -hmm. um so the first one being sort of i guess lowest on the ladder often when we have our steps i think of um abraham maslow's self-actualization pyramid sort of the basic heavier dense basic needs on the bottom of the pyramid and then they ascend you know up the rung so um the first one is unconscious sleep so what does that mean i mean is that just when we're sleeping or not yeah so unconscious yeah unconscious sleep is you have no thoughts no feelings basically you're a goner (laughs) there's nothing there so that's unconscious sleep and, and that's the unconscious sleep in terms of physiology is the sleep that allows you to have REM sleep, which is the next one. So the body's getting rest and it gets enough rest. It starts to heal itself. That's REM sleep. So then that takes us to the next state of consciousness, which is the dreaming state. And that's when we release all of our stress. We release, we go, what happens at night, you go through what's called a circadian cycle. Mm -hmm. And so you go into 45 minutes of deep unconscious sleep, and then about 15, 20 minutes of dreaming. And you do that, you go deeper, deeper, deeper. And by the sixth hour, you're getting your deepest rest. By the way, I've had some wild dreams since I've been here in Los Angeles. I don't know what's going on. And often I wake up and it's like, oh, can I just let my unconscious work that out? Or do I have to do extra work on it in my waking state? because some of them are really far out city of angels (laughs) that's that's true maybe that's what's happening um and then waking state so is our waking state like where you and i are sitting right now yeah so that's the waking state and so each of these states is a different reality Mm -hmm. dreaming is different than sleeping waking is different than both of those right So you can't use a gun in the waking state to kill a tiger in the dreaming state. 
and vice versa. <laughs> Can you take that a little further so I'm clear on what that means? Yeah. So each day, and this creative is su- analogy. super important that um, people understand this. Each state that we're in has its own reality. So sometimes when we hear people saying, in the third dimensional reality, which is waking state, all that's happening is perfect. It's what somebody in the unity consciousness that we're going to talk about would say. It's mm-hmm. all perfect. Mm-hmm. It ain't perfect in the third state. In the third state, <laughs> you're experiencing pain, remorse, abandonment, bombs. It's all real for, right. for that state. Right. So each state has its own reality. It is perfect, but it doesn't feel perfect. It is perfect if you're in that state. Right. If you're not in that state, it's almost not fair to say it's perfect. Right. Um, but also it's with the hindsight of it, of ascending to these other states, the juicy ones we're about to get to, and looking back at something like a waking state that you could say that that is perfect because it's all divinely orchestrated. It just doesn't feel that way when you're in it, right? Nope, nope. Um, so now we get to the ones that are more, and this is where, like, I didn't realize there were so many levels of consciousness. Like, yeah. I know how I am aware that it's infinite, and there's so many different realms and layers and language around all of this. And depending on who you talk to, it could really go to some very far out ethereal places. Um, but the next one is transcendental consciousness, right? So that has to do with, um, like, when you're in meditation, the feeling of quietness, um, quiet and stillness and spaciousness. Um, as you aptly cited, like the feeling that you have a half hour before arriving at the ocean, when you know that, um, your body just starts to lift and lighten because you know what's in front of you or you wait to round the corner and you get that first view. Right. So it's the absence of thoughts and feelings. Yeah. So the, Um, the deepest part of that fourth state, which is called transcendental consciousness would be something called Samadhi. Samadhi is without thoughts and feelings, similar in a way to deep sleep. But you get to have an experience of pure awareness. What, now, the Japanese word for it, there's another version of samadhi. Is that sakari? Am I butchering that? There's a word. Think you're thinking, yeah, what you're thinking S- of is satori. Satori, thank you. Yeah. It's a beautiful word. Yeah, I think Dan Millman uses that in one of his um, books. So that's sort of where I learned that word. Um, but when I thought, see, I thought samadhi, again, this is interesting because as we go into these other levels and they get sort of higher and higher, I always thought samadhi was one of like the highest, most blissed out, you know, and I've seen pictures of people in it. They're sitting in lotus position with these big smiles as if they're, you know, really like dancing with unicorns and rainbows up in the clouds. Um, and that there's a state of like bliss yes. of the highest level. But yes. here it feels like this rung is actually more accessible than whatever I romanticized in all the times I've you know, thought about that word. Yeah. Every time you're meditating, you're moving towards your um, authentic or true self or higher self. And so we use the word higher self now to describe this experience of well, samadhi or close to samadhi, we actually experience the quantum field. It's a whole other show. How does someone know when they're there? They usually don't. Hmm. They usually say, I have no idea where I just was. (laughs) (laughs) There's no directions or signs or anything that say welcome to, no welcome mat to tell you where you are. As you're going in that direction, you feel really, really good. And then you you don't remember anything. Mm. And Satori, by the way, is this experience of like, or like cosmic consciousness, where you feel completely awakened or one with the universe. Everything is light. That could be a Satori experience. I see. Okay. So that's where more of the bliss kind of little nuances start coming in. Yeah. Um, so perfect segue to the next level of consciousness, cosmic consciousness, um, 
which is you have this beautiful analogy or of the dipping of cloth in yellow dye. Did someone te- was that somebody else's? I can't remember if, where that came from. Maharishi's old analogy. Oh, okay. What is that? So that's so delicious. It right? is. It's beautiful. Yeah. So the idea is that if you take a cloth and you dip in yellow dye, which they do in India, and then they put it, hang it up in the sun, and the sun bleaches it, there's a little bit of dye left. And they put it in the vat of dye again, and you put it in the sun, and the yellow is bleached more. But someday in the future, that yellow cloth becomes color fast. In the same way, dipping yourself in meditation coming out into activity, you bring some of your higher self with you. And over a period of time, that higher self becomes color fast, and it becomes constant in your life. And that's called cosmic consciousness. I think another way to um, this is this bears reminding um, myself and, and our listeners is that when you meditate, when you have your practice, there is a cumulative, almost like a muscle that you're building or a reserve that a tank that is getting filled up cumulatively. Mm-hmm. It's not a fleeting thing where you do it on a Monday and it's gone by Tuesday. But if you start doing it regularly year after year after year, there really is like a cumulative effect. So I think that's a beautiful, the dipping the cloth in the yellow dye is a beautiful um, analogy, visual metaphor, I guess, for that. Yeah. Um, and then next we have God consciousness, right? Um, where your senses are free to experience without definition or labels, to see through matter, to touch more of the celestial realms, to see auras and vibrations and feel pure light and know that all is holy. I mean, these all are so delicious and they're, they seem, I guess, without having experienced them, it's hard to differentiate. Um, but they seem like they're, it's just nuances that separate them, like very thin mm-hmm. fibers that separate them. Um, how do you know that you're in God consciousness? Well, here's the thing about these states of consciousness, which I realized through time, is that you fluctuate mm. between all of these states. It's not like you hit that wrong and you're there for 15 weeks. So... <laughs> It's just a movement of consciousness itself as consciousness refines your physiology and as your frequencies, your mental frequencies become more refined and as you're able to contain more and more stillness. So in God consciousness, there's an extraordinary amount of stillness and because it's so still, You don't have intervening thoughts. The intervening thoughts are labels. That's a tree. That's a flower. Because if you listen to somebody like Titnot Han, he'll say, oh, I see a flower. But I also see the rain that created the flower. Mm. Oh, and now I see the cloud that brought the rain. And so that's how he creates a lot of his poetry. Oh, wow. Like the full picture. But still, that's actually interesting because that would suggest that he's not fully in the present. That would suggest you're also creating a narrative or a story that pulls together pieces from the past. But it might be, it might be Mm -hmm. that if you're seeing clearly in stillness, that not only all those things you can see simultaneously, but you also see the light behind it creating it all. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. It's a good point you bring up, right? You're that present that you're just, there is no such thing as time and space or any spatial separation. Um, the other thing I think that's really important based on what you just said about how you kind of one wavers between all these different places and you don't necessarily attain one and then stay there for an eternity. You kind of could go back and it's a few steps forward and a few steps back like everything is. And you've reminded me of this in my own personal process too, that, um, like, and in yours, that often you could have, you know, you could feel like you're, you know, if you look in the rearview mirror of whatever your spiritual practices or, you know, um, spiritual aspiration road, um, that there could be weeks or months where I feel like I've got much more equanimity around everything. And then suddenly I'm like sinking back into the mind stream sinkhole and it stays there sometimes for 
you know, days or there's an energy that'll keep me lured in for like months and I can't seem to get myself back to that place. So it is a constant, you know, as I've been, <laughs> I've been <laughs> quoting her lately, even though I know nothing about Casey Musgroves, there's a, um, a song she has called healing. It's not a straight line or something like that. Hey, healing's uh -huh. never a straight line. And that line just has stuck with me it's for so many different, isn't it? And so, um, to me, it's sort of the same thing. Nothing. It's not mm -hmm. a straight line. It definitely twists and turns and you go up and you go down and you climb the ladder and then you come back down a few rungs. So I think that's just something that's important to remind our listeners of so that, um, to give yourself a break and not to feel frustrated when you're not talking to the cosmos every day. And the ego doesn't enjoy being abandoned for too long. Right. Exactly. There's that too. The ego <laughs> likes company. Like, where have you been? Get back here. Exactly. Stop Let's with this. Ascending. Separate and, and yes. fresh. Jesus. <laughs> right. Never mind that non-dual BS. Get back here. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then finally, this one des desire, you know, this one uh, deserves a drum roll and angels singing is unity consciousness, right? Um, or did you, the um, Upanishad, the tree, tree sitting? Oh, right? yeah. So we were talking about this nice circle here. So Gurudev came out of the Vedantic or Vedic tradition in India. Mm -hmm. And books that came out of that time were the Bhagavad Gita. A lot of people know that. The Upanishads. Upanishads means tree sittings. And one of the statements in the tree sittings or Upanishads about unity consciousness and the, the fundamental line is there, all this is nothing but that. So somebody's looking out into the world and seeing this beautiful creation with the mountains and stars and heavens and birds and everything, and says, all that that I see is nothing but what's inside of me, which is consciousness, and everything is being created by consciousness. That's unity. As, as within, so as without. How, what's the proper terminology? Yeah, it's it's similar to it's like what so below. Oh, so below, so above. Right. That. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, which is true. Yeah, it is it true. Is. Uh, do you want to talk about your state of consciousness before we get into our action steps? Well, you can ask me. I don't know what I want to say about it. <laughs> That's why I'm asking if you want to if you want to say anything. I was giving you an out. Say no. No, I think the only thing is the most important thing about it is uh, this movement, right? Mm -hmm. This movement is like a symphony, and a symphony has different um, instruments playing, but when they all play together, it's something very beautiful. And so there are all these different parts that are playing their music. So we've we got the seven states of consciousness. We've got the ego going on. We have the work we're doing in the material. We're moving toward cosmic awareness. All of these things are going in and out, and one day you're this, and the other day you're that. And at some level, it's very, very beautiful, and at some level, it can be very difficult. <laughs> well, I will say, without interfering with your personal spiritual journey, that um, one of the many, many powerful and priceless things I've learned from you is that true spiritual ascension really um, doesn't have a place for ego, which is why you hold it with yourself mostly and don't even talk about a lot of magical and special experiences that you have. And um, that it's a sacred personal thing. And when it's really happening, you don't really need to talk about it. I mean, I, for me, because I have plenty of ego left in me, I still need to ask you incessant questions. And you're very kind and generous answering them. But the truth is, is that um, the, the deeper you get into it and the whatever, the higher you climb that ladder, I don't know if higher is the right word, um, the more layers you shed, the closer you get to these levels of consciousness, the more uh, individual and experience it is, and the more not individual, if that makes sense, because you're more connected to a bigger thing but it's not something you talk about like oh wow i got hit upside the head with lightning yesterday and god talked to me that's not what happens when it's really happening well i can talk about that because that's pretty interesting yeah 
And the reason that happens is because you feel so deeply fulfilled that there's no need to get any reinforcement from the outside. Mm. And so we usually do that. Not that I haven't done that. I have. But we usually do that when we're looking for some kickbacks. We're looking for some somebody to say, oh, my God, that is amazing. And I well up inside and I go, I'm amazing. <laughs> so instead of that happening, you already have the fulfillment that you would be looking for. So because of that, you don't need to express it. Right. Well, you're still very patient with voyeurs like me that want to hear every last word of every experience. Is that you what have. you are? Yes, I'm a, I'm your spiritual voyeur. That's okay. what I am. Well, so thank you for always indulging me very, very patiently. Well, so we're at least gonna, we're French. Yes, we're, <laughs> we're going to get to our action steps here in our remaining moments. Um, in honor of Maharishi, who used to um, say, and Steve bore witness to this a lot, that he talked a lot about not gossiping because it detracts from your energy. So what we're suggesting you do is step number one is step back when you're feeling inclined to gossip. Take a minute, take a breath, and go into either silence or love. Really, really great tip. Isn't it good? Number two, obviously meditation was at the core of everything that Maharishi taught. Um, we are proposing another One Soul Radio Challenge, a meditation challenge, where you take uh, 10 minutes every day for one week and sit in silence. You don't have to do proper TM. You don't have to have a mantra. Sit in silence. And then thirdly, because Maharishi was such a world peace advocate, and because especially now the world is in such need of extra love and prayers, we are inviting everybody collectively, including ourselves, to take five minutes every morning to send love and prayers and peace to the people of the Ukraine. So with that one more time, our action steps for this week, in honor of Maharishi's um, edict to not gossip, step back when you feel the urge to gossip, go into silence or love instead, Take our once a radio meditation challenge where you sit for one 10 minute period every day for a week and see how you feel. And thirdly, in honor of Maharishi, the world peace advocate, we're inviting you to take five minutes every morning to send love and prayers and peace to the people of the Ukraine and everywhere, frankly, because the mm -hmm. world really needs it. We all it. need it right now. We all need it, yeah. So with that, we want to thank everybody for joining us. And Steve, thank you for regaling us with your beautiful stories. It's really just really fun to listen to all of this and such a great enlightening you know, opportunity to, to learn more. If you want to find out more about us on Instagram, we are at One Soul Radio on Facebook, One Soul Radio Podcast. We have a really cool show coming up. Um, we'll see you next week. But then the week after, we have a very special show, Yogananda, feature, talking about Yogananda with one of his disciples from the Self-Realization Fellowship at Lake Shrine in Los Angeles. Steve and I are going to be live outside doing a super groovy, unprecedented show. <laughs> and we look forward to you joining us. Have a good week, everybody. Thank you. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.